Welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Hey, Dave, let's get right to this. So Joe Biden said when he was a candidate in the 2020 debate, he said, I would transition from the oil industry. And what's actually happened is that he's transitioning us from the domestic U.S. oil industry to the foreign oil industry. This is the type of double speak and, and virtue signaling that we're seeing not only from Biden, but also Western Europeans like the UK, for example. What they say is that, you know, we're not going to solely ourselves with domestic energy production, but we're going to be more than happy to run to the arms of these despot, uh, despotic regimes like Russia, Venezuela, OPEC and Iran. Uh, Biden seems to be bullied and pressured, and he caves uh, to these domestic environmentalists to do things like ruin the Keystone pipeline, halt domestic oil gas leases, push through you know new SEC regulations that are going to choke our economy, uh, new trucking emission rules, greenhouse gas emission rules. I could, I could get going on. But my question to you is, I mean, do you think that the Democrats will ever stop being bullied by these green, basically eco-terrorists? Well, I don't think, again, let's, I think that's a little dramatic here. Let's take a step back. I, I don't think this is an eco-terrorist. I think the, the whole world wants to transition from fossil fuels to alternative energy. And I'm really glad you brought this up because my major concern has been, okay, and this is what drove me crazy about Bernie Sanders. He's like, well, we have to do everything we can for climate change, but I'm against fracking and I'm against nuclear. Well, you can't get to alternative fuels without a transition plan, and you can't have a transition plan without fracking, i.e. natural gas and nuclear. I think nuclear should be about a third of our power. Natural gas is a transition fuel. So what's happened is, and this is my concern, is that in an effort to switch over, a lot of countries, a lot of municipalities have started switching, but they didn't have a transition plan. And more importantly than that, Kerry, they didn't have a backup if there was a hiccup in the market, which is precisely, precisely what we've experienced. Now, I think there's a little drama on the right about these oil leases. There's a lot of oil leases that have been issued that have not been used. So there's plenty of opportunities to drill in this country. Uh, I think the reason is that the oil industry has cut back because it just didn't make a lot of economic sense over the last few years. And that's true. Okay, and uh, I, I also believe that it was foolish to cancel the Keystone Pipeline. And I've been very vocal about this before because so often, and this is the same thing we do with drugs, we take a, a supply approach to what is a demand issue. If we, that tar sands oil is dirty, but if we, if it doesn't come through our country, they'll sell it to China. And they've been shipping it on trains, which have been resulting in some of the most unbelievably evil fires you've ever seen where the heat's so bad the fire department can't get there for a couple of days. So the answer to your question is, it, I think it was silly to kill energy programs until we have alternative fuels. And, the, and what could derail the whole thing is that the energy markets blow up even more than they do now. And the slow but steady gains that the public has made in terms of accepting climate change and wanting to act with it are going to be lost. What are your thoughts? Well, I think you're you're I agree with you on Keystone and some of what you said, but I think I think you're being a bit too generous to these Democrats because not only uh, are they, you know, killing any sort of middle transition, uh, they don't even seem interested in, in doing that. Uh, and they're not interested in any form of compromise. They're not they're not based in reality. And I think what's really offensive that the American people understand is that 
this is not, you can't just pin this on Putin. That's what they're trying to do. And the messaging, you know, Biden's giving, you know, briefings to teenage TikTokers and to try to brainwash them to say this is all Putin's fault. But people aren't buying it. If you look at all the polling, and I think that the Democrats, they're doing all they can. You know, it looks like in your state, uh, Gavin Newsom's trying to give out, you know, hundreds of dollars in gas, gas vouchers. Uh, we'll see if he's able to get that through. But it's also a little too late. And I think that that's why we're going to see a red wave in November. Well, and I think, again, uh, there's been a little hype on the right that certainly, you know, look, gas prices are like inflation. In the short term, there's very little a president can be can do about them. But uh, for better or worse, presidents get blamed for them. You know, look what happened to Jimmy Carter in the 70s. So and I do believe that it doesn't look good where we're offering these pet or asking these petro states to fill in when uh, there are other sources that we could do. What we need to do is we need to set up an infrastructure which will take time, but it's very doable, so people don't need Russian energy. Again, Russia is a gas station with nukes. You take away their energy money, that's the one thing that would make Putin move. And I wish we'd done that beforehand. So my question is, a lot of these people on uh, Fox News are not only have they been fawning over Putin, but they've been going after Zelensky and after Ukraine. I have several friends who are Ukrainian. We, ha we happened to be watching Tucker Carlson the other night, and he was saying that 11 political parties have been banned and media outlets have been stripped of the right to operate. Anyone who lives in Ukraine speaks the language, says that's total BS. So I guess the question is, why are they doing this? And you know, what is the, what is the short-term benefit to fawning over Putin. I realize, you know, Donald Trump never criticized Putin. He was Putin's puppet, but that didn't prove to be a good strategy for the Republican Party. So why is the right-wing media doing this? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, okay, so it's interesting because I, I think I saw that same episode of Tucker that same night, um, and he was talking about these opposition parties that, uh, you know, Zelensky has banned and that he's also cracking down on the media. Uh, so he was trying to say that, you know, that Ukraine is not as pro-Western as, 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 you know, people want to unilaterally portray it. And I think that the, uh, the issue is that not only Tucker, but if you look on the left, you know, for example, moveon.org and others on, on the left, they have been very critical of what they say is the cheerleading by the mainstream media to go into war and to really, uh, you know, in some ways escalate this potentially to World War III. Now, I think there is a happy medium here. I think that we could, uh, you know, help arm the Ukrainians. We can have a robust defense and, and stand against Putin and speak out and say that what he's doing is evil and wrong. And I think Putin should be taken out, out as the leader. He should not be the leader of Russia anymore. Um, but I think that there is also, you know, concern that we need to be cautious about it because, you know, when you look at, you know, God rest her soul, Madeleine Albright just passed away. I was just looking, someone reminded me of a clip where she was asked by the, about the deaths of 500,000 Iraqi children because we rushed into Iraq. And so I think that not only Donald Trump um, but others within the conservative movement were brought away from such a neocon, harsh, uh, you know, immediately moved to to uh, to war, to posture, to be okay. Let's be a little more circumspect. And in some respects, uh, he brought the Republican Party more to the left. Uh, and and like I said, this is the same message that I've seen from MoveOn.org. So I don't agree with everything that um, Tucker Carlson is saying. Uh, and and the, and Fox News. 
They have literally had their journalists die while we reporting about what's happening in Ukraine. So I'm not going to throw stones at Fox News. I think they've done some excellent reporting. They've literally put their blood and treasure into uh, you know, reporting about what's happening in Ukraine. If you watch their programming 24-7, it's it's very much pro-freedom. It's very much pro-Western. Um, but yeah, I think that that's really what uh, what Tucker's getting at. What do you think? Well, again, I, I you pivoted a little bit to talking about the left. I didn't really hear you answer the question. But again, I don't, I don't quite understand. I think a lot of this is a backhanded fawning for Putin. I think, frankly, a lot of it is ideological. It's the same reason that Tucker would go to uh, uh, Hungary and fawn over uh, uh, Viktor Orban. I think that a lot of the people on the right, they see the Orbans and they see the Putins as kind of a defending this anti-immigrant white, uh, uh, not white nationalist, that's a little bit extreme, but this white culture. And so, and it's so much, you know, when it comes to the, the replacement theory and all this noxious stuff they've been pushing, it fits in very, very well with the narrative. So I, I think that's the reason. And that's and that's the reason why Donald Trump is a, a wannabe authoritarian, because it's that same mold. It's it's it's, it's populism on, on steroids. So, all right, hit me with your, with your I, wild I disagree, Dave. We're, I disagree very strongly about that. I've known okay. Tucker for a long time, but we're, we'll have to revisit that. Um, so, but I want to move to another topic, uh, which is, is very timely this week, and that's about the Supreme Court hearing. Uh, so we heard from Judge Jackson that, uh, basically she gave a questionnaire response to the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, about a lecture that she gave in 2015. And she said, this is her own words, uh, she said that I try to convince my students that sentencing, when she's talking about fairness in sentencing, uh, it's not only interesting on an intellectual level, uh, but she said it, it melds together lots of disciplines. One of the disciplines she uh, included was critical race theory. Uh, so she's basically praising uh, the, you know, the act of judging uh, and, and, you know, administering the law uh, as being able to incorporate critical race theory. So to me, that was a huge red flag. I would vote against her. Um, do you think that is very troubling to you uh, to hear this potential nominee uh, who could be elevated to the highest court in the land that she's embracing, I think, such a racist approach? Well, I saw the part of the hearings, when I saw the hearings, uh, she didn't even really seem to care or even know what, be able to define what critical race theory was. So I think this is just, again, stuff being stirred up on the right. You know, my, my overall theory on this is, you know, look, you, uh, you've heard what I said about critical, my thoughts on critical race theory. I don't think it's a good thing, but I also think it's being used as a political cudgel. And I, I think there's been a few isolated examples that have been rolled out, and I will say, unfortunately, effectively as a as something that's going on nationally. And yes, there are some there are some teachers here and there. There are some there's some curricula here and there that that isn't what it should be. But overall, I think it's blown way out of proportion. But having said that, uh, that to me, there's when you when you pick through someone who's done so many cases, you're always going to be able to find stuff. You know, Ted Cruz with with his ridiculous chart about you know, under sentencing for child pornography, pornography cases, where I think people with an objective mind would say that she took a look at the uh, evidence and all the factors there and gave what were essentially fair sentences. But let's take a step back and look at the, at the, at the, ma at the macro on this. And I think it's always good to look at it through what, when it comes to the courts, through what Mitch McConnell thinks. This is a low stakes thing, right? 
it's a liberal replacing a liberal. It's not going to affect the uh, makeup of the court at all. Uh, and I also believe, frankly, that uh, it was a mistake, just like you shouldn't say, I'm going to pick a woman vice president. And then when you pick someone, people say, oh, she's the best woman. Was she the best candidate? You shouldn't say, oh, I'm going to pick a black woman. And then they'll say, oh, well, I know she was the best black woman, but she was the best candidate. Now, Katanji Jackson-Math is very qualified. She should get through. The Supreme Court, before Mitch McConnell broke it, like he's broke so many other things in Washington, used to be one of the few bipartisan uh, processes left, where if you look even at Sotomayor and Kagan, they got, I think, well over 60 votes. And it used to be if a judge was qualified, it didn't matter if they were conservative from Republicans or Democratic from uh, or liberal from Democratic, they would get appointed and they would get confirmed. So that's not, that's not the case anymore. And then, you know, you also have hucksters like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Marsha Blackburn, who is one of the most unworthy senators I've ever seen. But that's, that's a whole other issue. But anyway, I think this is a low stakes thing. I think she'll get confirmed relatively easily. I think she'll probably have 53 or 54 votes in the end. Any additional thoughts? Well, uh, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal, I said something very interesting about showing that the stakes could change on a, on a dime in terms of what could happen, you know, by the sickness of Clarence Thomas. And thank God, it seems that he's going to be healthy. But, uh, you know, the oldest uh, justices now are 73 and 71. They're both conservative. Uh, and so you don't know what might happen. And it seems that Judge Jackson is actually very far left to the to the to the, the place of who she's replacing, Justice Breyer. Um, and I think there's a reason why very hard left groups are embracing for her instead of someone like Michelle Childs, who I would have nominated if I were you know, the candidate that Joe Biden promised us to be. Um, and uh, and the fact that you know the the South Carolina congressman who basically saved Joe Biden's career was really asking to put up her, um, and Biden just gave gave him the back of his hand. I think is a, a really offensive um, and, and unfortunate, but not surprising because Joe Biden keeps putting up hard left people like uh, you know Saul Omarova, an actual Marxist, to be the comptroller of the currency. Well, let's let's not, also, let's not talk about people who aren't qualified getting jobs in administrations after Trump. Oh my God. I'm I'm just saying ideologically, like hard left people that were supposed to be, you know, Joe Biden pro promised us a steady hand, moderate left. What he's given us is far left, uh, you know, hard left people who don't represent where the center of America is. And that's well, what I find upsetting about Judge Jackson. First of all, I look and I'm, you know, unlike you, I always criticize both sides. And I believe, first of all, that this is being done on both sides. I think it's I think it's sometimes worse. Uh, at least the people on the left, if they, they may be very liberal, but they're qualified. You had people that Trump put up that were hucksters, that made donations, that were totally unqualified. And uh, some of them were very radical as well. And the only other thing I would say to wrap up is that in all fairness, and I know both Trump and Reagan said they would appoint a woman, but you know, typically you're not allowed to pre-qualify someone by race or gender. And I just wonder what would ever happen if someone said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna appoint a white man to the Supreme Court. You think there'd be any reaction? Anyway, so I, I, I agree. <laughs> so here's my question. Uh, several polls have confirmed that uh, former President Trump ended up at about just over 30,000 lies during his uh, administration. And, and half of them came during the final year when he was more desperate. I mean, it came on things like COVID. It came on things like the economy. And by the way, for the record, 
there was greater job growth during the last three years of the Obama administration than there was during the first three years of the Trump administration. So this greatest economy ever think is BS because we still had 2% growth. And, you know, it goes on and on. And so, but of course, the biggest lie is the one about the election. So obviously you don't believe the election was stolen, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I, think yes that, no. I, I think that uh, there were lots of things that happened no, no, that no, the, Perry, if a yes were no not in the constitution. I mean, you can say the irregularities, but either you believe it was stolen or it wasn't. So are, can you give me I a mean, yes he or lost, no answer? He, he lost the court ruling. So in that way, okay. yes, uh, he lost. But do I agree with everything that happened leading up to the court rulings? No. But was the election stolen? Yes or no? Okay, Dave, that's, you're that's not going to answer it. I mean, that's. I think that's kind of. That's kind of. What do sad. you mean? Okay. It's all right. Well, it's all right. But I mean, that's. So I guess my that leads to the second part of my question, um, and I, you know, maybe I, I guess in the Fox in the ecosystem, if you if you say the election was stolen, you're you're you know you're you, you get a scarlet letter or something. But I guess my question is, uh, you may have heard about Mo Brooks, who's that congressman who. Um, was at the January 6th rally. I mean, he's one of the worst of the worst, right? And surprise, surprise, because loyalty with Donald Trump is 100% his way, zero your way, Trump just, just threw him under the bus. And no one really knows why. The poll numbers were down, but people feel part of the reason was because he had the temerity to say, oh my God, ready for this? We should look past the 2020 election. We should look at the future, not the past. So what's your advice to these Republican candidates that can't talk about, and granted, the Republican Party doesn't really stand for anything these days, so there's not much to talk about, but they can't talk about the future when the only criterion for Trump's support is relitigating, you know, his how he was ripped off on the election. What's your advice to these candidates? Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm on uh, Trump's listserv, and I got that statement when he withdrew his, his nomination. And one thing he said in the statement, yeah, he didn't like him saying we shouldn't focus on 2020. Um, and uh, I disagree with that. I think that you should, you know, focus on the future. I mean, that's what the American people want. So I disagree with Trump on that. But I, I, the other thing is that I think the reason Trump did it is because Bo Brooks has been a terrible candidate since he's he's declared uh, he's tanked. Uh, he's he's completely squandered a substantial lead that he had. And also part of it is because there's a strong, very strong female opponent who I believe Trump is going to actually end up re endorsing in the end, um, who's much younger, hungrier, um, and just a better candidate, more disciplined. And I think that's really why Trump is doing it, because he doesn't want his his record from an endorsement standpoint uh, to be sullied. Uh, so I think that's that's all coming into play in in, in this situation. Well, and again, I am uh, known for giving gratuitous advice to Democratic candidates. Here is a very, what I think, good piece of advice. One of the most uh, undernoticed statistics has been since Donald Trump left office, the percentage of Republicans who think he should run again has dropped from over 70% to under 50%. So this, pre this pre presents an opportunity for Democrats to re-engage with these working class voters that they discarded. And that means not being preachy. That means talking to them about issues that affect their lives because they proved in 2018 where there's very little daylight between Trump voters and them is on kitchen table issues. 
So let's see if the Dems, which again, they're great at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Let's see if they can actually take advantage of this. And a lot of the, again, a lot of the candidates that Trump's, Trump is endorsing aren't, aren't, aren't doing very well. So can the Dems seize the opportunity? What do you think? We'll see. But I, I know that Emerson College, which is no right-wing institution, actually just did some polling and they found that Trump would win in a matchup against Joe Biden uh, and that Biden's favorability has tanked severely. So I think that there is certainly momentum because it turns out that at the top of the segment, you mentioned the quote, the quote unquote lies of Trump. It turns out that so many things that Trump quote, has unquote, said that the lies? mainstream media... <laughs> No, as in like things that, that the mainstream media call lies actually end up being true. For example, the Hunter Biden laptop. 17 months later, now the New York Times verifies something. Twitter destroyed any mention of that story from the New York Post. Also things with the origin of COVID. You know, did it come out of a lab or uh, did it come out of a wet market? Anything where there was any suggestion that this was created in a lab by the CCP was, was uh, you know, Marked as misinformation. So, oh, and then the whole Russia collusion thing, Jim Comey, all of it, all of it was lies that were manufactured by the left. And so, you know, I, so I think that that's why voters are really, they're seeing, you know, the, the fig leaf that the mainstream media puts to try to, uh, you know, cover for, for Joe Biden and to assault Donald Trump. But again, this is Emerson polling. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity for Trump, but I think, you know, Ron DeSantis, perhaps, or or where I live here in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. I think there's a lot of opportunity for other candidates too. Uh, whoever it is, I will end up supporting, uh, you know, a candidate who is going to stand up to Joe Biden because to me, he's been a disaster. There are, you know, t hundreds of thousands of, and now millions of, of Afghanis who are at risk now because of Joe Biden's failure and uh, the the assault of the Ukrainian people happened under Joe Biden's watch. So whoever it is, is going to be better, light years ahead of Joe Biden. Well, That's what I believe. Remember one thing, folks. One of the most ridiculous things I've heard, oh, if Donald Trump were president, this would have never happened. Putin would have never invaded. You're right. He wouldn't have had to because Trump would have been on his way to dismantling NATO. So Trump was doing his work. The reason that Putin invaded was because now NATO is stronger. Biden's reversing a lot of this stuff. So, and as far as the lies go, all I all I can say is that you can focus on Hunter Biden and some of the ancillary stuff, but when it come when it came to main stuff like the economy, when it, and all that, and particularly uh, things about the election, the the lies were were definitely there. Well, anyway, we'll have to leave it at that. Another great conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on Classic Group Political, and we'll see you next time.